0: Hey, Peace Nicks. Today's guest is Prince Bull Lucini. He is Executive Director at West Africa Drug Policy Network. It is one of my favorite parts about doing this podcast that I get to talk to people all over the world and learn about global drug policy from people's firsthand experiences. And it is so cool to get to meet and talk with people like Prince Bull, though our conversations are not always cool when we're talking about policies around the globe that are destroying people's lives. I'd like to thank the West Africa Drug Policy Network for the challenging work that they're doing. And I'd like to thank Prince Bull for coming on the podcast and talking with me. He is joining us all the way from Accra, Ghana, and West Africa. There was a slight issue with the connection and sometimes it's hard to catch everything he's saying, but it was worth it, even with the poor connection and his points are easy to understand. And if, you, if you've been following this podcast, and are in on the fight to end prohibition and this is an important one to listen to so let's dive in to the coast of west africa with prince bull lucini america's public enemy number one in the united states is drug drugs abuse. are menacing our society thoughts on the drug problem i had a great time doing drugs <laughs> so tonight from our family to yours from our home to yours thank you for joining us this is the Peace on drugs. drugs. Principal, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Peace on Drugs podcast. Um, and you work with the West Africa Drug Policy Network. Yeah, right. So ex- explain a little bit about your organization and w- what your role is in the organization.
1: All right. So uh, thank, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Um, my name is Train bol Useni, the Executive Director of the West Africa Drug Policy Network. Um, West Africa Drug Policy Network, we commonly refer to as uh, WADPN, is a coalition of civil society organizations um, across ECOWAS West Africa, which includes Mauritania. Um, the goal of the network is to promote progressive, or if you like, evidence based drug policy reforms. Um, policies or laws or drug control regimes that are based on human rights, human rights of people who are affected by um, repressive drug laws, um, are mostly nonviolent drug offenders, um, laws that are based on um, that takes into account public health um, um, concern. So it, it, it's not viewed as a criminal justice issue, the uh, a public health concern, which has to also do with drug users or people who use drugs or who inject drugs and their exposure to um, drug-related bloodborne diseases and how it affects the general population. Uh, so we have our secretariat that is established or is based in Accra, Ghana, and uh, we have chapters in all of the 16 countries. Um, these chapters, at the national level, try to promote or engage policymakers with alternatives to existing um, um, repressive drug laws and policies. Um, so, By the way, I also like to mention that the West Africa Drug Policy was set up by joint funds from um, the Open Society Foundation and the Open Society Initiative for West Africa. Um, So for the past five or more years, we have been um, engaging with policymakers across the region. To ensure that um, drug control regimes uh, laws are uh, actually reviewed in the manner of um, what I stated earlier, human rights and then uh, public health. We encourage governments to see drug use as, um, as a health concern and not a criminal justice issue and not a threat to security at all. And then we try to provide recommendations, particularly alternatives to incarceration and um, criminalization. So at WDPN and our allies, we believe that the use or possession of drugs or personal use shouldn't be a criminal offense. And in our, in proposing um, um, recommendations um, to that, we think it should be decriminalized. They should remove criminal functions that are associated with or are imposed for the possession of drugs yes and the, and the use of drugs so in the simplest term it means we don't have to take people who use drugs through the criminal justice system to determine what happens to them
0: yeah it's a, um, it's a health, a health so issue
1: right it's a health issue right so if you want to if if someone is dependent or they experience substance use disorder, I mean, the criminal justice system is is not a health system. So, I mean, it it wouldn't address that. All it does is it will criminalize you because if you are convicted, and then you'll be sentenced. Long-term mandatory prison sentences. So instead of you going for rehabilitation and treatment, which is scientific, you rather be languishing in some prison somewhere where rehabilitation facilities don't exist. So, so so that is our argument, and that is the basis for our advocacy, and um, that is what we do. So, as,
0: oh, I love what as you're doing. Sec- oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so as the executive director, what I do is to provide strategic leadership um, for the secretariat, which is uh, established in Ghana, like I said earlier, and also try to coordinate the ch- activities of our chapters um, right across the sub-region. So we, most of our activities are based on evidence gathering, data collection and evidence gathering, because we believe that if we have enough evidence to substantiate our uh, argument, then policymakers, they're already buying policymakers. So we spend time collecting or uh, gathering evidence um, of the current system and its ineffectiveness, or on the other hand, get evidence of what works better. Given the context of the countries, I mean, as much as it's a regional approach, we believe every country may have their own context. So we take that into consideration as well. As much as <laughs> there might there might not be much difference between what is happening. Um, in the different countries. So we do evidence gathering. We ensure we build our capacity of our members and our allies around um, uh, networking, um, our alliance building, um, uh, um, how do you engage policy makers? And then how do you use the data? How do you use evidence to engage policy makers make informed decisions or influence policy decisions? Um, yeah, so, and okay. then- uh,
0: Can I ask you, um, the 16 countries uh, that make up West Africa, are they united at at all with the governments? Do they work together with drug policies or do they each have their own separate set of drug policy laws?
1: Um, They all have separate drug policies, different laws, Um, but what is common among them all is the fact that they are all very prohibitive, they are very punitive. it's common that they they prohibit the use and possession of drugs and most of them don't have proportionality in sentencing like whether you're a trafficker high-end trafficker and producer of high-end drugs or a user you may most likely have to face the same penalty. so as much as they have different laws but then most of them have um, Similar characteristics. Um, they impose criminal penalties for the use and possession.
0: Got gotcha. you. And what are some of the more um, draconian pe- penalties that you've seen in, in West Africa for uh, like a small amount of possession of something?
1: Yeah. So for for the most part, I wouldn't want to name some of the countries, but most of them have life imprisonment um, for. Um, possession uh, or use of drugs because of the way the text itself was coined. So um, if you if you talk about sales, if you talk about life imprisonment for sales of drugs or for administration of drugs, that talks about drug use. So to have to have someone sentencing a user for life in life imprisonment near possession of probably cannabis. Um, I mean it, it, it's 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 ununderstandable.
0: That is that is so, absolutely insane. Um now is there is it to so a small amount of cannabis on a first possession charge could that land you life in prison?
1: Um so interestingly true um the, most of the, the text of these laws wouldn't they they don't um disaggregate they don't there's no skill, it, it's a possession. So it's not like the quantity, it doesn't take into account the volume or quantity or the purpose for which you possess the drugs, whether it's for personal use, whether it's for medical use, whether it's for, you know, so you, you stand the risk. So it will depend on whatever who, who, the judge presiding over the case at the moment. But to a larger extent, the judges are also, the hands are also tied when it comes to. Maximum and minimum sentences, you understand. So, the answer is so there's, that there's, there's nothing more they can do within that. Yeah, so we,
0: if, we have those here too. Yeah, but, so if you yeah.
1: possess drugs, whatever whatever volume it is, um for repeated offenders for some countries, um, yeah, life imprisonment is, is a penalty you get too, and that's what I've thought, right.
0: That's horrible. Um, it, no, so what does the, what is, what is the average possession charge look like for a first offender, first-time offender?
1: Okay, so I I appreciate the fact that you even even making mention of first-time offenders. Um, very few laws in West Africa have provisions for first-time offenders, except very recently when we started moving towards, we started making progress with um, um, reforms in Ghana, Liberia and in um, but most of them and in, and in Gambia, most of them don't make provisions for first-time offenders. But for those the few that have provisions for first-time offenders, the minimum will be five years.
0: For a first-time offense. But yeah. that's, but the ones that don't have provisions for first-time offenders, you could get life in prison for your first time?
1: You you wouldn't get life in prison. It has to be like repeated offender. You have to be a repeated offender. Like okay. three, at least three times.
0: Okay, that's still it's still ridiculous, but um, it's good to know that it's not for the first offense. But still, five years for your first offense is way is is. I mean, and a lot of um, kids start young. So, do they make exceptions for AIDS, or does it not matter what age you are?
1: Um, some of the laws do make exceptions for age, um, but 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 as usual, you know, for law enforcement, they would have to incarcerate. So even for um, um, young offenders, you'd have to start up some 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 prison time. wow, and, and I think it will also range within two to five years
0: five years, it's like so for a fifteen year old who got caught could spend five years in prison
1: totally
0: oh, yeah that's, that's that's awful and um and your organization is working to try to end these laws how um How much progress has your organization been able to make and how hard is it to to get these laws changed?
1: Um, Yeah, we have made some significant progress. But trust me, there's still much more to do. Um, Of course, you know, policy reforms or legislative reforms will take some time, much more longer than you expect them to do to to be. For example, Ghana, it took us like... um, Five years or a little over to get um, a law that really is not 100% decriminalization of drug use and possession. I and mean, at least it makes provision for um, harm reduction practices and programs to exist. And it also takes away um, um, mandatory custodial sentence for possession or use of drugs. So, I mean, uh, we've made some progress with that. Currently, we're working on the legislative instruments to inform um, the, the, the implementation of that law. And then Ghana, Liberia, Sierra Leone, Senegal have developed for most of them, for the very first time, a national strategy on drug law enforcement. So we the, the West Africa drug policy was also played played a key role in In, 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 in um, setting up those um, strategies, we made a lot of contribution in a way. And then in Liberia, we actually it actually took us lesser than it, it did in Ghana to reform the law and have it passed. But because of the bicameral legislative system in Liberia, the law has been we reformed the law. We were able to reduce penalties for use and possession. We're able from five years to 18 months for first, second, and third offenders. For third offenders, you probably want to refer them for treatments and rehabilitation, um, voluntary treatments and rehabilitation. So we're able to get those in Liberia. And um, in, in 12 months, we're able to pass the law at the House of Representatives level. So that law was sent over to the Senate, and we're expecting the Senate um, to debate and then concur so that we move it on for presidential access. In Sierra Leone, we've already done a draft law. We reviewed the existing law, which has um, life imprisonment, possession, trafficking, and all of that. And, um, Long-term mandatory sentences, 10 to 15 years. We've tried to we review those laws to drop them down to to a minimum of um, um, 18 months, at least for first or second offenders. And we've also established a panel that will refer users offenders to um, uh, a treatment and rehabilitation facility rather than taking them through the criminal justice system. So we are waiting for authorities in Sierra I mean, to actually mobilise stakeholders to have a conversation around this law and the provisions and the recommendations we've made so far, and see uh, which one, which one of those recommendations could be adopted, and which one of them probably doesn't sit well with the government.
0: Mm-hmm. And one of the problems we have in our country is with decriminalisation because it's only happened in one state. Um, and the thing that we fight against is there's a huge invested interest in keeping the drug war going because a lot of people's jobs depend on it. You have all the law enforcement and the prisons and the prison guards and their their career their, their livelihoods depend on arresting arresting people for drugs and this which is a horrible thing that uh, our economy should rely on. But do you have similar problems with that? Is that what you're up against? Yeah, so
1: um as much as we don't have clear evidence on the vested interest of probably um, um, influential politicians and other authorities, particularly law enforcement and uh, justice officers, but it's clear that um, the war on drugs will be a, a very hard war to end because of this interest. And this interest is, is absolutely disguised that you could hardly find traces and to bring out of evidence. Of course, in most of the countries, we have records of um, or allegations that, particularly, a minister of transportation, like in Sierra a plane full loaded with cocaine was abandoned at the airport at some point. And there were rumors that the minister of um, transportation, at that time, was involved in that. We had news from um, Niger where. Um, officials were also arrested and involved into trafficking and, and production who had incidents in other parts of West Africa. Um, but these, these and, and so that's the issue with traffickers, because if you, or, or, or facilitators, you can have, because they are rich and connected, they hardly fall within the judicial net. They hardly face any penalties. So they always they always have enough resources to cover up their traces. So you would hardly have enough evidence to project against them. You see. So this is what is informing for us. We think the laws, as much as they may be punitive for everyone, but they disproportionately affect minor, non-violent drug offenders, the vulnerable ones, the marginalised ones. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it affects them because if, for example, cocaine and heroin are not produced in places like Western Africa. Who brings them in? Who's, who regulates that, you see? So, as we also know, we may not have enough evidence for how politicians use drugs as a commodity for uh, political gain. Mm-hmm. And so-
0: Is it, does it uh, perfect some, I'm imagining it, it affects the, um- Disproportionately the lower class than the upper class. If you have money and wealth, you're probably not bought. I mean, that's how it is in this country. If it's, it's the it's the lower class that gets hit the hardest because the cops know they, they can't afford lawyers and this and that. So they, they'll arrest them more. Is that what happens in, in these countries as well?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what happens. If i on your way to court, the police officer or the arresting officer or the prosecutor, I tell you that look, instead of you wasting the time of the court, why don't you play guilty? And that yeah. is possibly that is possibly after a prolonged pretrial detention. You must have been kept there for like a week or two, um, negotiating your way at the police detention and trying to bail yourself, like find a way to drive your way out. And yeah. if you don't have enough money to drive your way out, then because of the congestion at the detention, prison detention level, you are forced to be taken to court, so that you go further congest the prison. Yeah. So on your way, why waste the court time? Why don't you plead give and then they might reduce your charge? That's what they convince them, and then they buy into it because they're vulnerable; they can't yeah. afford the lawyer
0: they have to do the same thing here. They say if you if you just plead guilty, a plea bargain is going to get your best deal. And and what, in our country, we have public defenders, free free lawyers for those who can't afford them. But they have so much work that they're they're not they don't pay attention to each case. They're just and they actually will tell the person to just to plead guilty. This is your best option, and they'll just push them through one after another. And um and a lot of times. A lot innocent people will prove like actual people that have one hundred percent innocent will plead guilty because they fear that if they don't plead guilty, they'll lose and actually have a worse fine. So it's not even just people who have used drugs who've been caught, but it's people who weren't weren't they were in their house, but it belonged to a, a relative. It wasn't even their their own stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I, I remember I think I was a case in Sierra Leone where, um. So you know, for West it's it cannabis is, is not a drug. It it's what they call the sacraments. It's their communion. They refer to. So I think one of the high priests, one of the Rastafarian high priests, he had cannabis in his bag, and then this young police officer chased him and searched him, as a usual thing, stop and such. And then he found cannabis in his bag, and he was like, "What do you have in your bag?" He said, "I have cannabis." Uh, "What are you going to do with cannabis? Why do you have cannabis? Don't you know it's illegal to possess cannabis?" He said, "Yeah, but." I'm taking this to the temple to the sacrament. Anyway, so the high priest was arrested and taken to the police. The substance was seized from him. And then it, after a day or two, they went to court. He went with his lawyer. And he didn't plead guilty. And then they they asked for um, um they asked for for an evidence. The drugs didn't exist anymore.
0: Hmm. So,
1: so you caught him with marijuana. Where's, where's the weed? Where's, where's the cannabis? Uh,
0: so he, pay, he paid somebody to, to have it disappear or something?
1: So because the police officers, he now testified that because the police officers collected the drugs from him, they sold the drugs to death again in prison. Oh, wow. So there was no exhibit. Wow. And that's how he was charged,
0: but but he he got off of the charge.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, and that that, that that's um, it's not as or, he was in a position to to do that. You're saying, like, exactly. Most so people,
1: if, can. You, if you if you if you, if you show up with hard, stronger lawyers, mm-hmm. then
0: that's it. That's it.
1: The, wow. the, yeah, he could provide evidence that the exhibit was in itself sold to them by the police officer.
0: Yeah, well, see, I am glad he got off the drug charge. I think everybody should get off the drug charges, but it, it is unfair that it is the lower class, the people that can't afford lawyers, that we just arrest and put them in behind bars constantly. That's just you know the whole drug war all around the world. This seems to be a common thing that you that we see, right?
1: And a lot of young talents are suffering. A lot of young boys and girls are languishing in jail right across the region, and there's they no idea when they would. Ever show out of that prison just for a possession of less than a dollar with cannabis, and you have to take like five years really in prison, really. Some that's, of them have awful. been taken off their their school, some of their examination, just because the possess dad in the possession of cannabis.
0: I know it's it's so ridiculous that we still are arresting people for cannabis. You know, we started. Uh, the U.S. started. We started our drug war, and I'm pretty sure we influenced most of the rest of the world um, at the time to follow us with our cannabis policies. And we're starting to finally see them roll back. Um, let me ask you: Is is the, U, the U.S. changing its drug policies? Will that have any effect on other countries, or do you think that at this point it's just a separate world now?
1: Um, it 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 is it, 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 I mean, it's a blend of both of it, but I think. Because the whole the whole drug war, I mean, you can't completely dissociate that from U.S. It goes I
0: mean, before uh, that. It goes, yeah, it goes so, way back, way way before that. yes. way
1: way back from from 1912, the whole um, um, China Convention and coming down to Nixon's Declaration and all of that, and and so that the U.S. influence they, I can say, influence the the convention. And most of the drug laws in West Africa were drafted um, after the convention. So if they see U.S. moving away from that path, it, it might influence the region. In the UN. But I'm not sure it will so easily um, as I, I, as it should be, because of the long-term negative public perception about drug and drug use, and politicians haven't seen it as, um, as one we can gain from, right? So, if you talk to them about alternatives, you have to mention harm reduction, mm-hmm. and they will have to check the cost. Who benefits from the harm reduction? We politicians? No. Um, if we want to maintain law and order, we have to criminalize even petty offenses like drug use and possession. So, how does that help them? So, if US should move, probably if we have more states um decriminalizing, um, I don't know how that argument will fit in the context of West Africa. And mm-hmm. then because of the religious position. And other social position in West Africa, it, 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 it hasn't been easy because they see it as a moral failure, drug use as a moral failure. They see it as a criminal justice issue. Somebody has to be arrested for the police officer to be promoted. Somebody has to be incarcerated for police officers to be promoted. The mm-hmm. prison has to, they have to prevent crime. And because drug use has been directly connected with violence and crime, For the police officer, if you also
0: prevent crime, you prevent drug use. Yeah. Well, also if you want to arrest people to fill up your prisons to, you know, for the money that it generates and the jobs that it generates, it's hard to find a lot of people doing violent crimes, but drugs are something a lot of people use because they're self-medicating for whether it's trauma or, or some people just want to relax and feel better. But a lot of people do drugs. So you can arrest a lot more people that way. And that's, and that's what they kind of do around the world as a system of control. They can arrest a lot more of a population if they, if they do arrest for drugs.
1: Yeah, and that's what's happening. I mean, a lot of um, vulnerable, low-level arrested, go to marginalized communities, you launch some military attack, and arrest people for... I mean, I mean, they can't even be arrested for loitering, <laughs> Like... Yeah. You're loitering, so arrest you, you um, uh, there's, there's another offence. And, and so that's another thing too, I must say, that if you go to prison and try to check the record for people who are arrested for drug use and possession, you would mostly find um, arrested for loitering or arrested for riotous conduct. So if you should storm drug use communities and everybody decides to run away, and then you try to forcefully arrest them or arbitrarily arrest them. And then there's a fight and then it's called riotous condom. And, 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 and even besides that, you can be arrested and jailed for five years for frequency, but for moving around drug use environments. Really? <laughs> like more. It's called frequency. So why do you have to frequently move around where people take drugs?
0: So, wait, you so, you have, so you're saying you don't have to be caught with drugs. You can be caught going to known places that have had drugs and they'll arrest you for that?
1: Yeah, they arrest you. most of the laws.
0: They arrest you for that. That's we have similar stuff. I've heard about that here. I'm not sure if it's quite exactly the same, but I have heard of you. They'll be able to illegally detain you for leaving a place that was a known drug residence, and they can. I think they can arrest you for it, but I don't know if they can charge you without anything. I'm not 100 on that. Um, I wanted to ask you how uh, you know, the the drug the black market drug trade tends to be pretty violent. It is here. It's extremely violent in Mexico. How violent is the drug trade in West Africa?
1: Um, it, it we don't have a history of uh, that extreme. You can of course you can't. If there is any form of violence, it can be compared to what is happening in Mexico, um, 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 Philippines, and.
0: Oh, you, you said they don't have guns there in West Africa. The people. Sorry. Do the people have guns in West Africa the way that we do?
1: Um, no, no, not not as common as it is. Um, okay. It I, I think in most part, most countries in West Africa. Because of the history of probably conflict, it it's hard to really possess firearms. Um, I mean, few few. I mean, few influential affluent um, society members may have, but it takes a lot of process to get to possess guns legally, and and it, 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 it's also not advisable to possess it, to have it illegally
0: and do you think that that affects the the having less violence in the in the black market drug because there's not as many guns
1: yeah there's less violence um most violence are reported when probably um authorities launch uh, some race, like, um raids, like on it comes to drug environment and try to raid and yeah. so there's always so the,
0: so the violence actually involves involves law enforcement
1: they
0: law and, law and do they have militarized police the way that we do here, where they'll they'll like send SWAT teams in and actually kicking doors and stuff?
1: Um, so in most of the West African countries, they have the agency um, which has its um, employees who are actually supposed to enforce those laws. But, it, it, but the police, the police has is a, is a general role of duty or responsibility of the police. To arrest for crime. So if drug use and possession is a crime, then police can always arrest. But for special operations that are launched by government most times, you would have the police, the military, and probably the agency present in, in operations like that. And they go along with arms, definitely.
0: Got you. And um, one thing I saw on your website was uh, the drug war you said it influences democracy, and I was curious how, how the drug war affects democracy.
1: Um, yes, yeah. so back to what we were saying um, earlier in this podcast, you remember we spoke about um, how influential politicians mm-hmm. so, yeah. um, um, the vested interest. So as creative as the business is, and how much politics... Yeah. Politics is the kind of capital investment, if you like, and so they do a lot of drug trade, um, and the proceeds are used to finance um, the proceeds are used to finance political parties. So once you get to par, because these proceeds were used to get you to par, then the main traffickers will have more leverage to operate their business. Um if you if you follow up what's happening in Guinea-Bissau, which is one of the countries where we have our ch- chapters, you will see that drug has influenced the way politics really moves. Places like Mali. And besides what you get from the proceeds and how you support political parties to get back to power, drugs are even really used to to perpetrate violence during Election to so intimidate opponents. Yeah. So, for um, politicians who have access could still buy and then give to talks of their security apparatus, um, um, private security officers, and young boys and girls, get them intoxicated to intimidate uh, their opponents. Yeah, so, democracy has really found itself in that fix. And um Police officers, security officers have, have have always been vulnerable to traffickers, and so it makes security issues very volatile. You have to bribe. Most traffickers will have to bribe their way to go through that system. Yeah. So it it there's a lot of influence even with governance. Drug there's a lot of ways go drug influence governance. The fact that we have people who have vested interest in it who wouldn't also allow the war on drugs to end, that in itself is is influencing its governance in all of itself because it it discriminates against certain steps of our, our society. It it push, pushes them to a place where they're marginalized. You know, yeah. so, so most of our elections are run from proceeds of drugs.
0: Wow. That's and then that yeah so has a heavy influence on democracy. Wow. And I, you know, I wonder how much of that happens in our country. I don't know if that direct money influence, it definitely happens in, on different levels though. And it definitely happens within the DEA and the certain drug administrations because a lot of those people are paid off as the drugs come in. I mean, there's so many drugs going through through our borders every day. But um, let me ask you this: um, How uh, optimistic are you about the the decriminalization in West Africa? Do you think Do you think it will eventually happen? And and if so, about how how many years do you think this might take before they could do a full decriminalization?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. With adequate resources, I think in ten years, um, at least eighty percent of West Africa would have decriminalized, even if it doesn't mean hundred percent decriminalization. But, prison time for possession and use will reduce considerably from the normal five years to at least eight two months, like 18, 12 months and all of that. And um, people who are problematic drug users with substance use disorder would have access to treatment, rehabilitation, and possibly a social reintegration. Um, the science, I say that because the science are all over the place. Um, law enforcement officers have reached a point where they themselves not just have not just acknowledged that their lives are put at risk, but have also, have also acknowledged that um, the war on drugs doesn't provide a solution. They've also acknowledged the fact that a lot of resources and time go into it. So there's there's need for an alternative. Mm-hmm. And most of these law enforcement and justice officers who are enforcing laws like this are also users. They, they themselves use drugs, but they can't come out to the open to say that we also use drugs, we are probably dependent on drugs because they don't want to have a backlash from society. Right. But the reason why that projection is correct with more funding is because as we speak, even though the laws in most of the West African countries have not been changed, but provisions for harm reduction, drug treatment and rehabilitation is ongoing in most countries. That's good. Senegal is a typical example. Sierra Leone, Ghana, Benin, um, Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso. I mean, these countries have established harm reduction programs. They have drug treatment and rehabilitation centers. Um, Some of them may be administering scientific approaches. Others may be taking a religious approach. But at least they do exist. We have... Um, needle and syringe exchange programs, in some of the countries, we have um, condom distribution program, and mm-hmm. um, um, some other substitute therapies are happening in the sub-region, as much as they are still criminalized by the law. So it shows the political willingness of most of the countries to reform. All I think they need is actually um, the experts in areas like that to to present compelling and convincing evidence that um, and decriminalization will start better and also influence governments and talk, let them understand that the convention themselves makes provision for the availability of these drugs for scientific and medicinal purposes. And Ghana has already gone into industrial um, and the, the, the industrialization of, of hemp. With WHO recommendation with lesser THC. So in ten years, with enough funding, I believe eighty percent of West Africa um, would have um, reformed their laws and there'll be um, some level of decriminalisation.
0: Well, I, I think that's I think that's great. Obviously, we both wish it would be sooner, wish it would be today. But I mean, that same thing in this country. I think it might be ten years before we can go universally that way. But we are seeing it slowly start to turn. And I and I like one thing you said. You, when you said the the drug war doesn't offer a solution and that's that's the whole point of it right if the drug war worked and most people didn't quit completely quit using drugs and it helped society then then we could justify it but it doesn't offer that solution it's only created more problems so um and i want to ask you is i know and i probably know your answer because right now it's one step at a time you, right now it's less prison time and then it's eventually it's no prison time and decriminalization but after that what do you think about legal access safe access because a lot of people with addiction problems and and science is starting to show this people that have addiction problems would not really have a problem with the substance if they could get it legally from a doctor yeah so um
1: and and, and that's also that's also another thing you know, the languages, all right? So uh, policy makers don't want to hear legalization. Yeah. Um, probably safe access. And then they begin to act, what's safe access? Mm-hmm. Um, regulated access. So for them, you shouldn't have access at all. Right. You shouldn't take it because it's dangerous to everyone. So that's, that's the kind of mindset that drug is is really dangerous. So you don't, there's no safe access. I remember some time back, uh, there were some advocates in some parts of West Africa who advocated for safe abortion. And they were like, abortion cannot be safe. So drugs cannot be safe. Um, I think, yeah, so we put out this argument before that because it is criminalized, you put people who need drugs in a position where they cannot um, they cannot verify what they say because they, they don't, there's no safe access. Because it's, illi- it's illegal, everything is coordinated by criminal networks. So if criminal networks are doing this, in, a, in a, that, that the trade happens in an unsafe environment, it is more likely that you're taking substances that you don't need because mm-hmm. why is it that the food and drugs associations or the the commercial bureaus wouldn't come to verify or validate the substances that we take. So Mm -hmm. why would I walk into a wine bar and look for red sweet wine that is not more than 5%? Why would I take absolute vodka if I want 45% alcohol? So we must be able to provide safe access to these drugs to so allow those who need the drugs, which is one of the provisions of the convention, you must have access to drugs. But then, let government take up the responsibility to regulate these drugs mm-hmm. and have their citizens to have access to take what they are supposed to take, rather than leaving the business in the hands of criminals to run and then blame those who take the drugs. Because citizens who take the drugs, will need to take the drugs, they want to take the drugs in a safe environment. They want to take a drug that is prescribed for them. They want to take that drug so that they will get the desired effect. Mm-hmm. So we have we have we have presented this argument and we've asked for legal regulation of drugs.
0: Right. Um, are Are you guys having the same problems with uh, fentanyl in the in the drug supply on the streets? Say again. You know, uh, fentanyl—the super strong opioid—that's showing up, uh, showing up on the streets, and is killing people. Are you guys having the same problems with that?
1: Um, I, I think it, it may be it, may, it it may be appearing in a different name in West Africa. Yeah. But I think there's there's this very harsh drug called push. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's 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 like the synthetic cannabis with with, with some other like chemicals.
0: Oh, the synthetic means, cannabis is also dangerous, but it's um, not as common or as popular here as the the okay. fentanyl is. Is opio Is opioids big over there, like heroin and stuff, or is it more cannabis? I,
1: it's more cannabis, but um, it's it's more cannabis. But then opioids, um, cocaine is, is is actually is actually around. Um, yeah. there's 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 a lot around, but. Cannabis is predominantly
0: um acknowledged to be a drug of a drug of choice. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I'd say it's cannabis good. is more popular here too. But we do have a big problem with opioids right now, and it's the fentanyl that's gotten the supply. So let me ask you this. You did you you said that you brought up going to a wine bar. So I, I assume alcohol is, is legal for adult use and um and is it illegal in all sixteen countries in West Africa? Yes,
1: yes, for adults, yes.
0: It's, it's kind of just funny to me that that's the same almost all countries around the world, alcohol is the one exception they make and it's one of the most dangerous drugs out there. and I, I enjoy a, a glass of wine. I enjoy having some beers, but it doesn't mean it's a it's a it's a dangerous drug. It's a hard drug.
1: very, very dangerous. And can you imagine we had I think in one of the West African countries we brought a, um, um, a psychiatry specialist who did some research and he came and he said, Alcohol is the most dangerous currently, and it kills
0: more people in that particular country than the drugs they're referring to. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It is, it's just so, I just think it's, so, it's a coincidence. It can't just be a coincidence, but that alcohol seems to be the drug that is just legal everywhere. And maybe because it's too easy to make and control, or because the politicians aren't going to, they, they like going to the bar and drinking. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's just the, the drug that's accepted in most places. And the other ones that are actually safer heroin is actually safer than alcohol. They've done studies. If it's, if it's a a safe supply, like alcohol is, if it's not, you're not getting stuff on the streets that could have fentanyl in it, it's actually safer and and it causes less violence on other people. Alcohol causes people to become violent and get in fights. Most domestic abuse happens with alcohol.
1: Yeah. 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 So
0: principal, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you one last uh, thing is, um, how can my listeners help support your group, um, and what you know? What can we do to help?
1: Yeah. So, firstly, um, we would want your listeners and um, to understand that drug use and drug possession is a criminal justice issue, is a public health concern, and uh, for those who are listening to us who have have this perception that drug is a moral failure. Drug is a criminal activity, drug use is a criminal activity. I want them to understand and begin to see it from a public health perspective. And also, take this message around the world. And if you are listening from West Africa, you possibly could call one policymaker and begin to let them understand that alternatives to incarceration and alternatives to criminalization of drug use and possession could serve better, could raise a healthier generation. Raise a healthy, youthful population. It means we pay more attention to them. Those alternatives will include diversion from the criminal justice system to probably a non-punitive system. Our website is uh, www.wadpn.org We are based in Accra, and if you think you want to join our campaign and advocate for the decriminalisation of drug use and possession. Uh, you can always reach out, there's a column, uh, there's a page on our website, we have our social media handles. I mean, they could check on um, Instagram, they could check on uh, Facebook, they could check on Twitter, and they can always reach on to us for questions and clarifications and probably advocacy materials which we could share with them. We are also open to receive funding I mean, from those who may be listening, and that uh, we use our funding mostly to engage policymakers, but to also make provisions to educate people who use drugs about the law, safe drug use, safe sexual behavior, and um, the rest of it. So um, whatever you want us to do with the funding that will help a drug user somewhere to get out of um, whatever they found their drug use or their drug use habit will be very grateful to use your funding and account for that funding and ensure that value for money so that we'll help our brothers and sisters who have been marginalized, who have been criminalized and um, to reintegrate them, to rehabilitate them and reintegrate them into society. So I'll call upon all our listeners to join the campaign to end the war against drugs.
0: Yes, that, that is our mission here. And thank you so much for doing this. I really love the work you're doing. And just one last thing I meant to ask you is, is where are you joining us from exactly? So where, where are you right now? Where are you joining us from?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm joining you from Accra,
0: Ghana. In Ghana, okay. That is so awesome. So good to meet you, Principal. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. And um, just keep fighting the good fight. We're going to do the same thing here
1: that's good thanks for having me too on the podcast and I hope we'll have to do some other sessions some other
0: time definitely definitely we'll have to see how how this thing progresses I'll get you back on
1: alright All right. thank bye. you bye you're welcome
0: bye alright peace Nicks as always thank you for listening thank you for being a part of this thanks for fighting the good fight with me This is something that we have to be open about, we have to be loud about, we have to talk about. We can talk about it on social media, talk about it on Twitter, uh, repost things that that you see about global prohibition that infuriates you, retweet, repost, tag, share. And um, another thing that you can do, this is a huge thing, you can write your senators and your congressmen. And I think I already might have lost some of you when I said that, but it's actually really easy. I have done this to both of my senators Marco Rubio has responded. It is uh, an infuriating response, but a response nonetheless. He knows where I stand on prohibition, and I am doing a response uh, podcast about it that will be released for the July 4th week about um, more that we can do with our congressmen and our our, uh, senators. I emailed my congressman, Byron Donalds, still waiting on a response. They've they've let me know that they've got my message, but they haven't actually sent the response that they're going to send, explaining that... Legalizing marijuana is just not safe. It, uh, or it sends the wrong message to children. It, it lets them, the wrong message is that marijuana is safe. Uh, marijuana is safe. And anyway, I'm going to do a whole podcast about that. But um, point is, you can Google who is my congressman, who are my senators. You put in your zip code. It'll tell you exactly who your congressman is, who your senators are, and a link to email them so it's super simple you can be very simple direct that's what you need to be tell them where you stand on prohibition tell them you're ready for the drug war and you want to save lives so thanks for listening to the podcast as always if you like what we're doing give us a five-star rating on apple follow us on twitter instagram at the peace on drugs subscribe to our newsletter www.peaceondrugs.com slash subscribe we're gonna let twiggy branches take us on out, out. out.